Welcome, secret lovers, to the inscrutable Brimble Banks Brothers electronic storytime presentation of Heart and Soul. Now turn up the baby and wake the volume as I turn you over to the Brimble Banks Brothers themselves, Bentley and Jameson Brimble Banks. It's so nice to have a house guest at Brimblebank's Manor, Cousin Lucinda. Yes, it's been some time since there was any voices to bounce off these old walls, save my brother's and mine. Cuff. Cuff. And that of our robotic servant, Voxbot 5000. A family of sparrows have taken roost inside my torso. That's nice, Voxbot. It tickles when they flap their wings. So, you'll just be staying the night while on your way back to university? Indeed. This semester I intend to both earn my diploma and find my husband. That will be an eventful few months indeed. Is there a specific chap you've got your eye on? Mm, No. I'll know him when I see him. He'll be handsome, sharply dressed, brilliant, complimentary, and a complete gentleman. Seven feet tall, riding a unicorn, and farting out fairy dust, I presume. Don't listen to him. He can be cynical about such things. And so, good night, dear cousin. Sleep well before your big semester. Aren't you going to tell me a story? Oh? Did you want a story? Well, that is kind of your thing, isn't it? True enough. Well, what sort of story... A romance! Not my favorite genre. A romance, let's see. Something with uh, a rakish leading man. Hmm. A suave gentleman. Mm-hmm. A real handsome devil. Aha! I think I know just the story. Oh, what's that? You know, the story of Amara and Shokash. Ah, yes. I suppose that would fit the bill. Shall I begin, or you? Oh, after you, dear brother. Very well. Once upon a time. But not so long ago. There was a girl who was not beautiful, nor for that matter was she ugly, but she would compare herself too often to matinee idols and glamour queens, and in doing so believed herself to be something terrible. Gentlemen had expressed interest on occasion, but she doubted their sincerity quickly dismissed their attention, and then forgot their overtures had ever happened. And so she grew to her 25th year without ever having a boyfriend, without ever being kissed, without ever holding hands, without ever knowing love. Her name was Amara Marie Bundledrum, and more than anything in the world, more even than to be beautiful, she wanted to be loved. And so, one clear night, she looked up to the stars from a lonely hilltop and said, I have read about it in stories. I have heard of it endlessly in song. They say it conquers all. They say it changes you forever, and yet I fear that for one so plain as I, it will never come. I would give anything to be loved. Anything. 
one should always be careful of their phrasing, for Amara had spoken her words in just such a way as to attract some rather unfortunate attention. With a sudden burst of fireless smoke, an answer came, not from the stars, but from somewhere below. Good evening, milady. I am Shokarsh the Younger, your local recruiting agent for the fire pits of hell. I believe you call. Amara fought to stifle a scream. Shokarsh the Younger was stranger looking than any man she had ever seen. His skin was the color of dark red wine, his tousled hair and mutton chop sideburns were shining gold. His horns were like those of a ram, curling backward away from his forehead, the tips ending near the points of his ears. He was impeccably dressed in a midnight blue suit and matching vest with gold thorny vines embroidered on it. Through the tails of his coat, his own personal tail protruded and waved nonchalantly behind him. He snapped his fingers and a small flame grew out of his right index finger. Amara got a better look at his face as he lit his cigarello. It was frightening, but handsome. He smiled as he turned his golden eyes toward her and said, Isn't that right? You called me here. You? You must be mistaken. I didn't call anyone. Ah, just idle star-wishing, then. I thought perhaps you meant it when you said you would give anything to be loved. Okay, I'll just be heading back. Wait! Wait. Do you mean... Are you the... Red skin, horns, tail, and I showed up when you said you would give anything to be loved? If I have to spell everything out for you, this is going to take a while. You're the devil. I'm a devil, not the devil. I mean, do you think the devil himself has time to check in with every moony-eyed waif who happens to say she'd give anything for something? I'm like a junior recruiter. Pretty new at this, actually. And you can get someone to love me in exchange for my soul. There you go. Now you're catching up. Thank Lucifer. But wouldn't I be trading a little pleasure for an eternity of torment? Wouldn't it also be an eternity of torment to fly around stodgy old heaven with their harp-centric elevator muzak having no memories of earthly amour? I can assure you there's no hanky-panky in heaven. At least this way, while you're roasting in a lava jacuzzi full of flame-retardant piranhas, you'll have pleasant memories to think of. Did you say flame-retardant piranhas? Never mind that now. Just sign on the dotted line. His movements were so graceful and subtle, she had never even seen him remove the contract from his breast pocket. He unrolled the parchment and pointed one expertly manicured fingernail to a line below all the legalese. Sign here, and someone will love me. Just as soon as I speak the words of the spell, yes. Shokash had expected it to take longer to persuade Amara to sell her very soul in the endless stretch of her afterlife in exchange for some earthly affection, but she snatched the pen from his hand and quickly signed her name to the document. He noticed a single small tear slide down the girl's cheek as she signed. Why was the mortal crying? Joy at her wish being granted? Anticipation of her fondest desires coming true. Regret that this was her only course toward love she could conceive? As he had said, he was new to his profession, and part of his black heart was not yet stone. He had intended, as devils typically do, to give her the old monkey's paw treatment. That is, to grant her the letter of her wish while ignoring the very point of it. 
Devils do this kind of thing all the time. For example, there was a bald man once who wished for all of his hair to grow back, and so it did. All of his hair that had ever fallen out was back, as was any follicle shortened by any barber, every whisker that had ever been shaved, any arm hair that had sloughed off in time, or any bit of eyebrow plucked. He spent the rest of his shaggy days dodging silver bullets, avoiding kitchen mixers, and touring with the sideshow as Clarence, the dog-faced man. Clarence? It was his real name. He refused to change it. And so Shokash had intended to similarly grant Amara's wish with some horrible twist to boot, but that single tear had touched his only nearly completely stone heart. Maybe her wish didn't have to go entirely to hell. A moment. He said, setting his hand on hers to stop her signing. She pulled her hand away and looked at him, surprised. With this, I receive your soul and you receive someone to love you. But does it matter to you at all who that someone is? Would you trade your soul for the love of Schmetel, the old toothless goat herd on the hill above your village, who hasn't said a kind word to anyone in 20 years? Amara was taken aback. Because that's who I had in mind for you. No! Amara finally managed. I thought not. So what kind of man, or woman, would you like? A man? That's a start. And? Well, a good man. She said uncertainly. Who... Contributes to his community. I will remind you that you are going to hell now. There's no sense in asking for what you should want or what you were told to want. Please don't act any better than you are. Tell the truth, my dear. No sense lying to a devil. Amara smiled a small smile at him. Her smiles were uncommon. This one made Shokash laugh. Perhaps she thought she should have a little fun. Well... Handsome, she said. With teeth, said Shokash, and Amara smiled again. (laughs) With nice teeth, and nice hair, and nice eyes, and a nice... Be a little wicked, Amara. You're talking to a devil. And a nice... rear. (laughs) Now we're getting somewhere. I'm not superficial. I never thought so. He should be uh, complicated, a bit... Bad... Edgy. He's passionate about his work. Doesn't let in just anyone. Oh, but he loves me. Me he lets in. Me he shows himself to. I touch his heart. He he is hard and powerful and... Edgy? But with me he can be himself. And inside he is capable of... of... love. Shokar shrugged. Well, he sounds like a weenie, but this is better than the first time. Better, Shokash thought. But even this way, the wish would never go easily, and probably not well. These things had rules, and he would have to follow them. He wasn't, after all, in charge. I can't think of a person offhand to fit your description, but you weren't unrealistically specific, so one of those fellows is bound to wander by. Yes, and then... I learned this trick from a Greek goblin. Once you sign that document, the very first gentleman that matches your description and sets eyes on you, no matter who he is, will fall madly and completely in love with you. Oh, thank you! She cried out, and without thinking, she hugged the devil. 
It was his turn to be taken aback. Then Amara swept up the pen, her heart beating rapid with excitement, and signed her name. She felt certain she'd made the right decision. Our pact is made. Amara Marie Bundledrum. He said, readjusting his suit where the sudden hug had disrupted. And so, the first creature of your description who sets eyes on you will fall madly and completely in love with you. He was a young demon, as we have said, and rather new to his profession. He had meant to say, the next creature that sets eyes on you, but misspoke and said, first. One should always be careful of their phrasing. And so in a flash of light, the spell was complete. Amara's soul was taken, and Shokash's small sympathy for her grew and grew inside him. Her features did not change, but what had seemed plain to him before now seemed beautiful. What had seemed to be self-loathing now seemed the height of humility. Her joylessness sparked his curiosity. What had happened to her in the past that had made her unhappy? And what would make her happy now? Amara. Amara Marie Bundledrum. There is something I must tell you. Yes, Shokash? I am Shokash the Younger, emissary of the Land of the Damned, junior soul recruiter, trickster, villain, son of Shokash the Defiler, and Skeletta the Hoochie. And what, what must you tell me, Shokash? I love you. You know, I, I didn't mean for him to be literally a handsome devil. One should always be careful of their phrasing. Potty break. And now a word from our sponsors. Luxury. Romance. Ground corn. This year, show them you really care with Tortitos corn chips. Nothing says, I love you. And also, I know you're more forgiving than other girls like corn chips. Sprinkle them on the bed for a crunchy surprise. Nibble one into the shape of a heart. Or if I had a third idea, that. Nothing says passion like a bag of tortitos. And nothing says you have just utter contempt for your advertising department, like only giving them an hour's notice to write a valentine spot for corn chips. Tortitos corn chips. I, I quit. Oh, now available in scoops. We now return you to the inscrutable Rainbow Banks Brothers electronic storytime presentation of The Devil is in the Deeps. Shokash the Younger was a little worried about his balance as he placed one hoof and then the next along the thin strand of rope between him and the jagged rocks some 7,000 meters below as he inched slowly away from the peak of Mount Nefario and closer and closer to the floating highway. Shokash was quite nimble, so balance was not something he normally worried about, but he had lost his tail recently while retrieving the Sword of Sarcasm, and he was used to using it for balance. To distract himself from the dizziness of the height, he thought back to when he had first 
told Amara he loved her. You love me? I do. Because of the spell? You put a spell on yourself? No. Shokash felt certain that the love he felt for Amara was true, was real, but it had come on rather suddenly, and right after finishing the spell. It was hard to deny the logic, but it was hard to deny what his heart was telling him, too. I don't know. Does it matter? Well... You wanted someone to love you because of the spell, and now someone does. In my heart, my love is real. What difference does anything else make? You? Is... is that even possible between our... kinds? Biologically, possible. And quite pleasurable. Uh, I don't mean that. I mean love. Is love possible? Oh, Amara, I see now that it is. Oh, goodness. The, the description I gave for the spell... Let's just forget the spell. I guess being a devil does qualify you as... edgy. Um... Turn around. What? Why? Hmm... Still, this is not what I expected. Love never is. I am here offering my heart to you. Do you love me? Though she had imagined them spoken by a non-forked tongue, these were the words Amara had always longed to hear. And she did find Shokash handsome, and even somewhat charming. He had clearly gone out of his way to help her. She searched her feelings but there seemed to be no butterflies in her stomach. Her palms were sweaty indeed, but she had just signed her eternal soul away and was talking to a devil, so some nervousness was probably to be expected. I... I don't think I do love you. Of course not. This is all too fast. But could you grow to love me? Shokash... I have never been in love before, so I certainly can't say for sure because I don't even know what it feels like or, or how it happens. But what I was hoping to feel was what is described in poetry, what I've read, that light itself would look differently, that all things that have seemed meaningless and confusing would have beautiful meaning, that the feeling that all one has lived and all that has ever been has led to this moment, my world changing, my heart expanding, and certainty. Does that not exist? It exists. Oh, it exists, said Shokash sadly and also happily. He felt wonderfully miserable. Amara just felt miserable. Wild thoughts and impulses swirled about and clashed against one another in Shokash's mind. He had bedded princesses and pop stars with next to no effort, and now this woman, who had never known the slightest affection, was rejecting him? And yet, was she not also a goddess of perfection and beauty? Didn't one such as she deserve perfection in a mate? Still, Shokash thought nothing was beyond him. If it was perfection she needed, perfection he would attain. You will come to love me one day. 
I will become worthy of you. Cloud swirled around the devil and then shrunk down to the size of a pinprick. It looked rather like a film of smoke being played in reverse, and when it was gone, Shokash was gone with it. After leaving Amara, he immediately began his quest to impress her. He had noticed she was wearing a small brooch, shaped like a kitten, so he personally rescued 432 cats from a disreputable Chinese restaurant in San Francisco and located each of them a new and loving home. It had taken him some time, and he had incurred many tiny scratches to both his skin and, worse, his wardrobe. Still, the cats had been cute enough. He briefly considered keeping a small orange tabby for himself, but was worried that in a moment of weakness, he might have eaten it as a snack. He returned to Amara and told her what he'd done. All of this is for you. Now do you love me? I am really impressed, said Amara. Loving homes for 432 cats. How did you convince that many people to be pet owners? I can be very persuasive. Do you love me? You're making me feel awful. You're making me feel that way too. I don't mean to. What is wrong with me? Why can everyone love but me? Is it so hard to do? Does it require so much of a person? Am I so lacking? I've made a deal with the devil and used magic to find love and still I do not have love. Oh, Shokash. Either love does not exist and it is not real or I am... I'm truly wretched. Either way, my life has never felt so terrible. She walked right past Shokash as she spoke. He thought she smelled of vanilla and tears. She turned and looked at him. You fill up my senses, he murmured. <laughs> John Denver? What? That's a John Denver lyric. You like this John Denver? Well, I suppose I... And Shokash disappeared in another implosion of smoke. A bird landed on the rope in front of him, halfway between Modernofario and the floating hideaway. Once he would have kicked it aside without hesitation, but his love for Amara had changed him. Now he hesitated nearly three seconds before kicking the bird away. His thoughts again turned to the recent past, to Amara's reaction when he brought the granola-eating country singer back from hell. Wait a minute, wait a minute. John Denver was in hell. The man had his secrets. Sing for my lady love, John Denver. Okay. This is a little song I wrote while being seared with white-hot branding irons in the cattle ranches of hell. When I think about the time gone by and all that's come to pass, I I'd made sure that the tank was filled with gas. I don't regret stealing ivory tusks or robbing eagles' talons. But I wish I'd stopped a moment just to get a few more gallons. 
Now my fuel gauge is forever on And there's nothing, nothing left of me Yeah, my fuel gauge is forever on e. And I'm burning, burning in misery What do you think of me now, Amara? Now do you love me? No. Show caution, do not. Now I feel terrible about John Denver. Come on. Sing it with me, Rolf. Now, now my fuel gauge is forever on E. And there's nothing My fuel gauge is forever on And I'm burning, burning in misery <laughs> Oh, shut up! And so Shokash had decided to gain a prize for his love, a most rare and valuable prize, to prove his worth to her. He had bested the beggar king of Covent Garden in a contest of riddles to win the map. He had lost his tail to the oldest alligator in the New York sewer system while retrieving the sword. He had climbed to the peak of Mount Nefario and crossed the chasm, and now was stepping foot onto the floating hideaway. He walked down the palm tree-lined path, and up to the door flanked by scowling tiki statues, and knocked. Shokash entered the tiki bar on the floating oasis, and his suit was instantly transformed into a pair of navy blue shorts and a white shirt with blue and gold floral print. He did not spare a glance at the ravishing topless hula girls who presented him fragrant orange lays. His eyes were locked on the figure past the line of illuminated puffer fish and glowing buoys hanging from the ceiling. He was focused solely on Kahu, smiling behind the bar. Aloha, Kahu. Kahu was enormous. Nine feet tall with sky-blue skin and a grand round belly. At first glance, you would swear he was wearing a tiki mask, but when he spoke, its mouth moved with his words. The wild, staring eyes, the huge, toothy grin. It was his face. Can I get you a drink, lovelorn trickster? A headhunter, perhaps, for one who has lost his head. A fog cutter to clear the vapors that cloud your judgment. A scorpion to remove the sting of your broken heart. Or just a blue Hawaii to match your somber mood. I didn't come here for a drink. Well then, you came a long way for nothing, my devilish friend. For a drink is all you could get from this place. Here, a Mai Tai with no taunting attached. The greatest Mai Tai on the planet, or above the planet, the case may be. Here, I pour one for myself as well. If you must fight, let's share a drink like gentlemen first. Very well. 
Shokash sat at the bar, removed the flamingo pink umbrella from his Mai Tai, and swirled the mermaid-shaped swizzle stick around the rim of the glass once before taking a sip. Kahu had not boasted idly. It was the finest combination of rum, orange karaku, lime juice, and syrup he had ever tasted. You're lost, Shokash. Don't you realize your love you feel is only a result of the spell you've placed on yourself? Perhaps it is. Or maybe it only started that way. Maybe now that I've seen her, studied her, fought for her, maybe it's become real. You're fooling yourself, little devil. Give up. It makes no difference how it started. I know what I feel now. I do not dislike you, so I will tell you something true. People do not fall in love because of great feats or gifts bestowed. If she does not feel the things that you want her to feel, then she does not feel them. And you will be happier if you can let her go and do your work. If I could, I would. I have tried. I am bound to her. Loving her is part of who I am now. I cannot undo it. I like to play host here in the tiki bar in the floating oasis, Shokash. I enjoy mixing these drinks and playing songs on my ukulele. Let's leave it at that. Don't make me hurt you. Give me the pearl. There are many pearls here on this island in the sky. You are free to take almost any of them back to the object of your phantom love. Give me the vermilion pearl. That is not yours to take. Well, if it were mine, I wouldn't need to take it, would I? I will not be drawn into a game of semantics with your boy. I may play at being a host and a bartender, but first, I am Kahu, guardian of the vermilion pearl. Very well. Shokash downed the remainder of his cocktail, stood up, and drew the Sword of Sarcasm. Hey! I love what you've done with this place. Very classy, really. Not garish. At all. Said the sword. That remark did not sound sincere. Meet the Sword of Sarcasm. Kahu did not like the Sword of Sarcasm, and so grabbed Shokash by the head and threw him across the lounge. He smashed into a wooden tiki statue in the corner and fell hard to the ground. Wow. That was so impressive. We're totally scared of you right now. You! You should be! I am Kahu the Mighty! And what a mighty physique you have on you. You really look like you're in great shape. Hey, that's hurtful. It had only taken three comments from the Sword of Sarcasm to completely demoralize Kahu. The Great Guardian slumped his big blue shoulders and furrowed his wooden brow. His spirit and his guard were down. And Shokash leapt across the bar and with one great swing of the sword, he cut Kahu in two. Aloha, Kahu. I'm sorry it had to come to this. He reached into Kahu's former innards and fished out the vermilion pearl from where Kahu had swallowed it for safekeeping. He was sure to have it thoroughly cleaned so that he could present it to Amara. Amara, for her part, had gone from desperation to despondency while Shokash traveled across worlds. Even without love, she had once found some satisfaction in her work. But now she worked and played, but without any joy or fulfillment. She found boring people she had once considered friends. She saw little point in eating, but sustained herself on nutrition bars 
until they made her stomach hurt. She understood now that she lived in a world without love. Perhaps she lived there alone. Or perhaps everyone lived there alone. Maybe all the poets had been pretending or dreaming. She suddenly realized that Shokash was standing behind her. Without turning, she said, If nothing else, Shokash, you've shown me the truth, and I thank you for that. The truth? It is why John Denver made me so unhappy. It is not that he is in hell. That is no tragedy. It, it is that I believed what he sang. I believed that he loved the mountains and the water and the sun and Annie. And Muppets. But he did not. He was not good. He did not love. John Denver was a lie. His words were lies, as are the words of every other poet who made me believe that life was good or that love would make it good. It is fine that he burns in hell. What are you saying? How can you deny what is standing before you? It is like you are the sky and the wind and the sound of the dark little depressed crickets. Their beautiful ceaseless chirping is with me at every moment. It is like- Please stop, Shokach! I understand now that probably even you are pretending that this is a devil's game. I sold my soul and this is my punishment to exist in a story I wanted to be in, only to see the story is only that. And you, devil, either you believe your own stories or you are writing them to torture me, and either way I wish you to stop. I am not pretending, and my love is real. I will prove it to you. I have been to some of the strangest corners of the world to bring this to you, my love. I have risked much, and even faced personal loss of both limb and wardrobe. It is all been worth it to present this to you. I give you now one of the rarest, strangest, and most valuable prizes in the unknown world. For you, the vermilion pearl attached to this ring. Shokash drops to one knee. A symbol of my love. Amara Marie Bundledrop. Will you marry me? Amara had longed to hear such words all her life, and yet was unmoved by them. I will not marry you. I do not love you. She turned and walked away. In anguish, Shokash threw the ring and the pearl away, not caring where it fell. He dropped to his hands and knees and bellowed in heartbreak and frustration. Why? Why won't she love me? I would give anything to win her love. Anything. Even Shokash had not yet learned to be more careful in his phrasing and he had spoken his words in just such a way to as attract some rather unfortunate attention. With a sudden burst of fireless smoke, an answer came, not from the stars above, but from somewhere below. Standing before him was a figure impeccably dressed in a suit of deep purple. He had long ram's horn skin the color of dark red wine and hair as white as the purest snow. Did you say anything? Shokash looked up toward the familiar voice. Oh, for Satan's sake, it's you, said Shokash, the elder. Father? And now, I am pleased to introduce our special musical guest. Here's Sea Stars with Bittersweet. Carry us away on those gentle waves of sound.
Tapioca pudding on top of a waffle. Thanks. And now back to the inscrutable Brimble Banks Brothers electronic story time presentation of When Scary Met Soli. Shokash the Elder looked down at his son and shook his head solemnly. Look at you. Just look at you. Do you know how many souls I had signed over to the Dark Lord by the time I was your age? Yes, father. Six million. Six million. And now you've spent the last six months fussing over one pathetic mortal soul that you've already won over for Satan anyway. It's not her soul I'm after anymore, Father. It's her heart. Oh, get over it already. She's not even hot. Don't you talk about her like that. I hate to see you like this, son. I really do. I had such high hopes for you. You had so much talent, I just hate to see it go to waste like this. I don't care. And where the hell is... You've lost your tail! Oh, son. You had your grandfather's tail, and now it's gone. I don't care! This is more embarrassing than when you played right field in Beelzebub's Little League team. You always bring that up. I'm sorry, son. I just don't know what to do with you. Help me. How? Make her love me. She can't love you. Don't say that. She can't love anyone, you idiot. Why not? Because she doesn't have a soul. Of course. Of course. How could I have been so blind? You never were the brightest. This is amazing. Thank you. I can't believe you came to help me like this in my darkest hour. Well, I only thought you were a human who wanted to sell his... Kahu tried to help me, but I wouldn't listen. 
I almost feel bad for chopping him up now. I must get Amara's soul back. Her soul belongs to Satan. But I have her contract right here. Shokash grinned broadly and showed his father the contract. Son, you can't do that. Sure I can, I'll just rip it up. Do you know the price for disobeying the Dark Lord? Father, I'm a devil. Of course I do. Lava, fireproof piranha, blah blah blah. What he does to mortals is nothing compared to what would happen to you. In every conceivable way, you would be torn asunder. I've already been torn asunder. Father, I've never said this, but Amara has made me realize a lot of new things, and, well, I love you. And now I'm going to go before things get awkward. While his father stood bewildered, Shokash shook the tangled mess his hair was in into the intentionally tousled mess he preferred. He shrugged his shoulders, and the Hawaiian shirt and shorts transformed once more into the dapper blue suit he had worn when he first met Amara. His tail did not return, though. It was gone. He raced down the hill as fast as his hooves could carry him and caught up with Amara by the gate outside of her home. Shokosh, I'm glad you're here, she said, and she smiled, and his heart lit up. I'm ready now for you to take me to hell. I will burn. It will be good to feel something. There is nothing in this world left for me to experience. Please, Amara, hear me out just one last time. If you say you do not, nor could not love me after this, I will leave you forever and live out my days in solitude and heartbreak. Amara sighed. Very well, Shokash. Say your final piece. Make your final plea. Shokash reached into his breast pocket and pulled out a familiar parchment. There, way down at the bottom, beneath all the legalese, was Amara's signature. I am sorry this agreement has not worked out to your liking, my love. I will now do what I have never done before, what I have sworn never to do. Shokash placed his hands together at the top of the document where they only trembled slightly. He locked his loving yellow eyes with Amara's empty chestnut counterparts, and he tore the parchment in two. Lightning tore the sky then, as if it were paper, and as if in answer, terrible thunder shook the earth. So the deal was overturned? Indeed it was. And was Shokash torn asunder? I have heard love can do that. As can the devil. Was Amara's soul returned to her? Indeed it was. And so she would be capable of loving him? She would be capable of love, yes. Oh, good. Wait, the spell on him, wouldn't it be broken too? Indeed it would. He would no longer be compelled by magic to love her. But couldn't he still love her anyway? It it could still be a happy ending. Could it? Well, Shokash had said to Kahu in the Oasis, he said perhaps he had been changed by all he had been through. 
Perhaps he had genuinely grown to love her. Perhaps. And maybe with her soul intact once more, Amara would be moved by all Shokash had done for her and would have true love for him in return. Maybe so. Well, good grief! You're telling me nothing. Tell me that after this, she was at least less depressed and liked herself more. Is that what you'd like us to tell you? You're not going to end the story. Which is it? If love cannot be forged by a pact or a contract, can it grow by familiarity and sacrifice? If one cannot be moved by deals and presents, can one learn to love by seeing the soul of another? Can a love powerful enough to change a devil's soul disappear in a flash of light like it was never there at all? What say you, cousins? I say those are all excellent questions. I'm certain I don't know the answer myself. You should keep your questions in mind when you're off to university again. Take a class in it. Or go on a date, if you must. But but what of Amara and Shokash? Did they find love or not? Do you know, maybe she should tell us the ending herself. She does have Brimblebank's blood, after all. The inscrutable Brimblebank's cousins, electronic story time? Though we wouldn't want any pretend stories or lies. You can burn in hell for doing that, after all. No telling love stories until you've fallen in love at least once. And had your heart ripped out, chewed up, and peed upon at least once. (laughs) Yes, brother. I suppose that, too. When you figured it all out, do come back and tell us. Good night, dear brother. Good night, my dear brother. You guys suck! You have been listening to the inscrutable Brimble Banks Brothers electronic storytime presentation of Heart and Soul, or The Importance of Phrasing, written by Brody H. Brocky and Justin Vidovic. I'm starring Brody H. Brocky as Bentley Brimble Banks. I'm Justin Vidovic as Jameson Brimble Banks. This episode's story featured Travis Lords as Shogarsh the Younger, Sarah Grace as Amara Marie Bumbledrum, Jared Hoffert as Kahu, Kelly Mariansky as Lucinda Brimble Banks. John C. Sherwood as Shogarsh the Elder, Brandon Whitesell as John Denver, Kryn Hess as the Sword of Sarcasm, and Brody H. Brocky as Ralph. Forever on Me, music by Brandon Whitesell with lyrics by Brody H. Brocky. This month's commercial, Taritos, was written by Ramses and starred Scott Longbray. Check out more of Ramses' comedy at ramses.net. The song, Bittersweet, written by Katie Gray and Kurt Bauman and performed by the band Sea Stars. Check out their website cstarsmusic.com and hear more from Katie on katiegray.com. If you enjoyed tonight's story, be sure to subscribe to hear more electronic story times in the future. Check out our homepage at brimblebanksbrothers.com and like us on Facebook for more. If you are a songwriter who would like your music featured on the show, a comedy writer who would like to write a phony commercial, or a sound editor who would like to help out, email us at brimblebanksbrothers at gmail.com. Until next time, I am the Voxbot 5000 for the Brimblebanks Brothers saying, if you can be with the one you love, love the bees instead. They make honey. <laughs>